Filmmaker Commentary, episode 35. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to another episode of Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I am joined with Casey G. Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. So today we are going to talk about Running Scared 2006, written and directed by Wayne Kramer. Uh, we have a budget of 15 to 17 million bucks. At the U.S. box office, it pulled in about 6.8 million. Worldwide, 2.5 million. I think they took an L on this one. Yeah, uh, mainstream audiences just may not have quite been uh, ready for this this throwback fairy tale gangster <laughs> cop film. There was an article that uh, Wayne Kramer written a while back, kind of talking about like uh, filmmaking jail. And, like as a director, you get put if you don't get the win, you get put in filmmaker jail. But that jail doesn't like pertain to other jobs. So like if you're the DP of a film or anything like that, you just get new, more opportunities, you know? Sure. Uh, but it seems like, as so he said he wouldn't really recommend like being a director because of, especially if you're relying on studios uh, to finance your films and things like that, because you got to, you have to have a hit or at least make your money, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. There you, you know, go. if the film does well, I mean, you get a lot of the credit. If it does True. bad. You shouldered the blame. Mm-hmm. So. You don't have. And he was basically saying that you don't have that many chances to come back. You either got it, and you're, you're done. You're done. You're done, son. You're done. Hey, that's, that's part of the game. That yeah, I'll be honest, up for. I never even heard of this director before uh, until until you, you mentioned this. I was like, "Who's this guy?" Yeah, did a good job, but you know, it's unfortunate. Heck of a vision. Heck of a vision. So I'm going to read the synopsis. Struggling mob hand Joey Gazelle, played by Paul Walker, finds his life turned inside out when a hot weapon he's in charge of concealing goes missing. With two mafia families and a team of crooked cops watching his every move, Joey sets out on a chilling, bloody pursuit, maneuvering his way through a horrific web of creeps and criminals, praying he can retrieve the gun and make it home to his family alive. Running scared. Nice synopsis. Well... Now I'm just reading it off the DVD cover. That's a win. <laughs> now that's a win. <laughs> uh, before we kind of go into themes and stuff, like how, how did you watch the film this time around? Or have you seen? Have you did you watch it before? You know, this past week or whenever you watched it. To talk about that a little bit. So I had never seen the film before. I may have heard the name, yeah. in passing, um, and it being affiliated with Paul Walker, but I hadn't seen it until you 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 mentioned it, and so I went and. Bought a copy of it, uh, so yeah, this is my first time watching it. Watched it, watched it at home, got through it, and initially had mixed feelings about it. My mm-hmm. my initially after watching it, I had mixed feelings about uh, kind of about Paul Walker's performance. I felt it was like because he was so he had to be so intense all the time. But then after going back through and listening to the commentary, I was like, okay, you know. But if I hadn't listened to the commentary, mm-hmm. I think I wouldn't have liked the film as much. Just wow. being, just being, just being honest. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I thought, I thought it, it had some some cool looks and things like that, but, uh, but the commentary helped me appreciate it more, mm. which is 
kind of not not weird, but it's just reality. You know, sometimes like listening to them kind of break certain things down. Like, oh yeah, okay, all right, oh maybe maybe I missed that or whatever. So uh, I definitely respect this director's vision, but yeah, kind of had had, had mixed feelings of, about the the film. And again, I'm cool with violence and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm like, cool with violence. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm cool with cinema <laughs> violence, just to be clear. <laughs> Uh, I'm cool with fantasy violence and all that. Right. That's that's fine. That's fun. Uh, Watched it for the first time here. How about you? First time. This was like the first collection of films that I purchased when I was just running through commentaries. And I didn't go to the theater to watch. It was around 2008 when I got this film. So um, didn't go to the theater or anything like that to watch it. Uh, Paul Walker at the time, like, you know, was that hot guy in, in Hollywood where, you know, he's associated with Fast and Furious and the tough white guy, whatever. So I didn't, you know, it wasn't really when when they were showing the trailers and all that stuff, it wasn't really appealing to me. I was like, OK, another gangster film, you know, because you had um, what other films was coming out at the time. I think it was Guy Ritchie um, had like a lot of gangster films and stuff like that. Mm. And so that's what it reminded me. It was like, oh, it's one of those films, you know, like Snatch and Brad Pitt and all that. It's like, okay, we've seen this before. But uh, when I act, when I watched it, I was kind of blown away. I was like, where have I been at? <laughs> mm. You know, it does remind me a little bit. Now, you know, watching The Raid, there, there's some shots, things like that that make me think of, that made me think of The Raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, after after the facts, so I wonder if that director was influenced by, by this. Yeah, using a lot of the steady cam shots. I enjoyed it. You know, the first time I watched it, and then uh, it grabs you. You don't like soon as it starts. You know, it you're dialed in. You know, you see a kid that's like shot. You're like, what's going on? That's true. The transitions coming in from the red light, green light. They're tra- traveling fast, and then it goes to a title sequence and comes back. It's like, what is this? You know. Um, it 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 keeps your um, attention, and then the transitions like bring you to the next sequence in a pretty cool way. This time around, we'll watched it with the wife. She's seen it before with me, but it's it's one of those films like it's okay to just come back every five years or something like that. You know, she said, "Why you got me crying for these people?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that uh, some of the scenes, but the the scene with the two. Uh, I mean, pedophiles. Uh, let's, let's be frank. The <laughs> pedophile murderers. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Before yeah. we <laughs> say that, if you have not seen the film or listened to filming a commentary previously, please know. Yes. There will be spoilers. Yes, indeed. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> you've been warned. You, Sorry for not saying that sooner. We normally do. My bad on that. She's like, why you got me crying for these people? Which is like a valid question because like, you know, you talk about. Um, minorities. She said something else, but you know when you're talking about minorities, you know in this particular film they're like extremely disposable. So it was like, come on, come on, man. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so that part I didn't like. Um, well, even the and you could maybe it's, you know speaking to realism and how people talk and being gangsters, or whatever. But even just in so many of these gangster mafia films, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, even other even in black gangster films, but you know the constantly being referred to as the, as the N word. Um, oh yeah, you know, and it could be in one context within the quote unquote hood, but another context when it's you know mafia, yeah, uh, when 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 you, in in the use of the n word, so yeah, it took a very derogatory, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, but it, but even <laughs> the guy, but even the, one of the main protagonists, he uses mm-hmm. it later on, oh, Tommy, uh, yeah, yeah, but it, when there's there's no black folk around, he's just mm-hmm. he's using it towards other people, right, you know, 
Yeah. But you could kind of tell also, even with the way Wayne talks about how he directs, he lets actors just go to that emotional mm-hmm. place and he doesn't censor it, which I, I appreciate right. to a degree. But you could tell he was cut. This guy was in. He's like, ah, you, nah, 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 nah. I was like, whoa, this guy's just going, just going for it. Yeah, that one could let fly. But the other ones is like, all right. And then there were no other, you know, from the Latinos to the black folks. Like, come on, man, somebody. So I was glad the pimp wasn't black. Oh, Lee, Lee, Leon, <laughs> yeah, Leon the pimp. Yeah, it's all glad. I was like, all right, don't throw us completely under the bus. Mm. You, you already killed everybody at the beginning, so, uh, so that I didn't care for it too much. But um, outside of that, overall, like the film. Um, let's talk about some of the themes. You got a couple themes for us? Yes, yes, yes. So a couple of themes that uh, that I saw were well, off the bat, and I didn't. I mean, I didn't catch this. Early on, I knew there was something different about the film. I couldn't right. quite put my finger on. I was like, "This is not a traditional, just gangster mm-hmm. film. There's something different about it, and it's not the grittiness or the violence. There's something thematically." And then at the very end, and I'm grateful that 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 Wayne Kramer did this. But mm-hmm. the end title sequences showing yep. showing the fairy tale aspect to it. And my there there it was hidden under my under my nose the whole time. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that's what it is. This this is a um it, it's it's partially based and influenced largely by the grim fairy tales uh and and it's it's a grim fairy tale set in an urban environment even the the town is a fake town called grimly yep. which is a a, <laughs> no, a, a nod yeah, up, yeah a nod to uh the brothers grim so yeah so the, the fairy tale theme uh again once they come in contact with the um the pedophile murderers there's a, 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 a kind of, it's like a callback to Hansel and Gretel mm-hmm. uh, instead of but instead of being a woman that wants to 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 eat them they they have far uh, more sinister plans. Um, I think there are themes of colors and this could be a, a technical tip but there are themes of, of colors matching matching up with people's uh, clothing in certain kinds of mm-hmm. environments. And there's also again coming back to that that pivotal scene there's also the question of what is real evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and even maybe you know what what means can be justified to to ultimately do good, and what kind of sacrifice can be made from that. But you know it's it's key for um, Vera Figaro for for that scene to be there because initially I was like, this is it's <laughs> it, it feels disjointed and kind of out of yeah. the blue when that scene happens. It almost feels like a if the movie were cut a little bit differently, it would almost feel like almost a kind of Tarantino kind of thing. Like you know right. why, why is this here specifically? But it does give her this moment to shine and it does make her realize that, okay, well, my husband does some bad things. He's not evil. I've just looked at evil right. and seen what it is. So it, it helps differentiate that and change her perspective, which uh, helps towards the end. Even the theme of making a stand, mm-hmm. because at the end we see uh, Enzo's character, uh, who's a, a John Wayne fanatic and has a <laughs> tattoo of the Duke on his back. the Duke like you know him having that moment of kind of waking up almost yeah. and making the decision to not uh, to not kill uh, Oleg, not even engage in the violence, but to to walk away. That being his stand, that 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 moment, um, and then also talking back to Oleg's mother, partially the 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 the, the failure of the American dream uh, to to some extent. She realizes it. To a, to an extent, he has realized it. I think that that Johnny and his family they're maybe trying to realize it, but you know, even their home is is broken to a degree. I mean, mm-hmm. this this is a guy who 
you know, was abused by his father also, like Oleg had been, and he took a bat to him? Is that what he said in the <laughs> scene? him with something, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also within that, there's a theme of a family, you know, pulling back together. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which, of course, they, they kind of form a, a new family and bringing Oleg in towards the end. So True. those are some of the themes that, that I took from Running Scared. How about you, Reginald? Um, you know, fam- going back to family as some of the themes, uh, redemption, who felt like they were redeemed through this. Um, what character experienced the redemption? I think oh, I think Oleg does. Oleg. I think to some degree because you kind of know he seems like he's not just a tough kid. Who's been he seems like he's yeah. He, I, you don't quite. I don't. I feel like I didn't quite know. Is is he is he a good? Is he good? Might be a strong word, but he's going to do the right thing at the end. I never. I mm-hmm. didn't. I didn't quite know until until the end. Is he going to is he going to screw somebody else over, or is he just yeah. looking out for himself? Like so, redemption. Maybe like Paul Walker was a character. Maybe more doing the redemption trying to redeem the thing that he did bad and um the kid more like a resilient you know like Mm. just kind of sticking it out and um also you know kind of seeing what you're saying with the family you know there's a theme of family and trying to you know create a family out of the worst circumstances sure and then uh kind of dealing with abuse you know just kind of living through that you know seeing how paul Walker's character lived through it how the kid lived through it how the his mother is living through abuse yeah. and you know how they, even though they are being abused for whatever reason, they still care for their abusers. Stockholm. Like Stockholm yeah, it's almost like, yeah, you know, it's Stockholm or, you know, there's still like some love there, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know. Um, also like the tone, the tone of the film is kind of like, like you were saying, like the fairy tale, it's dark brutal so i think the tone kind of stays the same throughout the film yeah yeah and, and, it, and it again it like I said, it doesn't let up it, it is it is in your it is in your face yeah um it's in your face the the whole time and, and again paul walker's character just having to maintain this level of intensity and paranoia yeah, yeah also another theme is paranoia because you don't know you don't know quite know who to trust because right. there are multiple double crosses Throughout and people not seeming like who they are, people wearing mm-hmm. almost like wearing masks. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of masks and 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 facades. The the cop that seems good but really is crooked. The enforcer who's actually working for the cops. Then you get the the mob enforcer guy who's supposed to get rid of the guns, but turns out he's been freaking FBI <laughs> all this time. Yeah. Uh, so so many people not appearing to to be who they who they really are. So there's a lot of a lot of deception and paranoia. Gotta love it. Um, before we continue with this uh, film, we are going to talk about movies we watched this past week. So, movies we watched this past week. Do you have anything exciting for us? I have two okay. two films that I checked out. One in the theater and one was kind of a, a, a throwback. Okay. So, the first one that I saw in the theater was A Simple Favor. What is that? That is a film by Paul Feig. It's been out in theaters for a couple, well, almost about a month now. Oh, wow. And uh, it's kind of been, been steadily, it's one of those films that's a small, it's a smaller film. It stars mm-hmm. Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick. It's based on a, um, um, based on a novel. And it also has, uh, from Crazy Rich Asians uh, fame, one of the main stars of the film, Henry uh, Golding, who okay. is, uh, was, I'm super happy for. He's got like two movies that, mm-hmm. that are out that are doing well and that are, that are okay. smaller films. I'm like, yeah, okay. you get yours, brother. You get yours, man. <laughs> but it, it is, 
it's a fun film. It is a I don't I'm not gonna give any spoilers away, but it's a it's a like like this mystery kind of thriller. Okay. Uh, but at times it has this lighter tone at times, so it's, it's totally interesting in that way. But Anna Kendrick and uh, Blake Lively, man, she gives one of her best performances okay. uh, in in the film. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's worth worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, but that is a simple favor. Again, uh, currently still in theaters. The uh, the second film that I checked out was was a, a throwback. It was Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Okay. Now. Was this a hit when it came out? No. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Fantastic Four just haven't had a a great movie, or, yeah. or really even like a good movie. The Tim Story films again, the Fantastic Four, and Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. There's the they just they just lean a little, almost a little bit too much on on the, on the silly side. Now okay. again, it can be marketed towards kids, and that that's fine. And if I were a kid when these came out, I'd be like, oh man, that was pretty cool. Um, but watching it as an adult. And, and again, long time nerd, I'm like, eh. They're, they're nailing some aspects, the powers and all that. They they nail that. And honestly, the Silver Surfer in this uh, film, it looks amazing. Like mm-hmm. the, the, I think the, the CGI still does a pretty good job. Even the guy playing him, uh, Doug Jones, I think might be his name. Like just his his physique, like he's perfect. Mm-hmm. But there's something that they do, eh, not 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 so great. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and again, this the, the the plot of the movie is just just so so. But it was worthwhile revisiting, and particularly I watched this on Blu-ray that I picked up because there was a 40-minute documentary on the Silver Surfer. Wow. And that alone, seeing Stan Lee, you know, talk <laughs> about the Hit creation the of the character and Jim Starling on his run and just these different people who had written Silver Surfer because he was one of my favorite characters growing up. I, I, mm-hmm. I had multiple uh, issues of the Silver Surfer. So that alone was worthwhile picking up the Blu-ray. Um yeah, and just even from the filmmaking standpoint, Tim's story, his behind-the-scenes stuff is actually pretty cool because he, he kind of really takes time to go in-depth with it. Those are the two films that I checked out. Okay. How about you? Two films. Uh, checked out Joe Rogan's new stand-up called Strange Times on Netflix. That was decent. You know, I, I was in a one-to-laugh mood this past week. Mm. Um, and then I also checked out D.L. Hughley's stand-up called Contrarian. I watched that also. Yeah, what'd you think? Yeah. I, I I typically enjoy D.L. Hughley. Mm-hmm. I've liked him since honestly, you know, since Comic View, and he he right. had one he did on HBO in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I don't know the name of it, but that was that one had me. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. So he's grown a whole lot, and uh, he gets more political. Joe Rogan stays in the political landscape, so mm. uh, I enjoyed both of them. Um, then also I watched a Beavis and Butthead documentary. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> it was on YouTube. And I think I don't I don't know if it was like a special on one of the like a DVD if it was on the um, Beavis and Butthead Do America if it was one of those specials but somebody put it on YouTube and had it broken down in six things I don't know how I got to that world but I'm very curious. I have no idea how I got <laughs> very there curious how you landed on, on but Beavis I just started playing it I was just like huh. playing it and it just kind of started out with uh, how uh, how Mike Judd like he wasn't like a great cartoonist or anything like that but. Had something put in like this kind of film contest and it was Beavis and Butthead called uh, Frog Baseball. Frog <laughs> Baseball. And Remember that on Liquid Television back <laughs> yes. in the day. And so that was that was the first film. And then um, I think some some kind of way it got submitted to MTV. And then they did these. Um, what is it when you get a roundtable full of people? Uh, Writers room. 
uh, like a like a study group, not a study group, focus group, focus group. So they got a focus group of like these teenage boys, and they were like tripping, like they were like kind of bored. Like, oh, here we go again. Then as soon as they played it on, they were just like engaged when that thing came oh, on. And, it was, and one kid was like, "Can I buy this from you?" And these kids had to have been like junior high, high school. Yeah, oh, man, and that's the, the focus group was went it. so well. The lady was like, "I've never had this kind of response." Mm. Um, and then they played it for some women that um, they were like older women. They were just like, I would never. They like they just like thumbs down. But then they showed it to like a younger group of uh, women, and they they loved it too. And so wow. went right into production after that immediately. Yeah, that's I'm, I might I'm yeah. gonna have to have you send me that link. That's yeah. fascinating because I was I was a Beavis I was dialed in. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was a Beavis and Butthead guy in in. In uh, middle school and junior high, I mean, we would walk around. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was, it was uh-huh. interesting. And then Mike Judd doing all the voices, so he did Beavis, he did Butthead, he yeah. did the, uh, the the Texan. <laughs> guys doing. And then there was like another guy, another like the uh, principal who was like real jittery. Yeah, yeah he did. <laughs> I can't stand you, stupid kids. Uh, uh. Yes. He did that voice, and then uh, what was the other voice he did? Oh, the uh, the teacher with the guitar. He did his voice. Oh man! Oh. It's, it's, so it's, when you hear Mike Jug talking about like these, and then he just goes in characters when he does a voice. I had a teacher that talked like me, and it was funny. Oh, um, and, but his voice is like real developed, kind of like Seth. Um, was it? Is it Seth? The guy from that did uh, Family, Family guy? guy? Is it Seth? Yeah, I can't think of his last name. But um, McFarlane. Yeah, McFarlane. So, like, his voice is, like, real developed because he's doing all these different voices. So, like, it, even his regular conversational voice is, like, super developed. And you're like, oh, that's Mike Judd. But his conversational voice sounds like Butthead, like a more polished Butthead. Huh. <laughs> so, it's, like, comical to see him talk. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's pretty sweet, man. I, I'm, I'm excited to, to check that yeah, out. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And they kind of talked about Office Space, which I also enjoyed. Leaving, getting out of college and then everybody kind of quoting that movie and being mm-hmm. in cubicle land, you like, can relate to that. Did he direct that? Yeah. Um, it was based on a cartoon that he created. Um, the, the guy huh. that uh, played the boss, he's like... Yeah, that was based on this cartoon that Mike Judd created. I'm gonna need you to come in on Saturday. You know, I, I didn't watch that film until about maybe two, three years ago. Everybody would always reference it and say stuff about it. And I was like, oh, "What's the big deal? What's the big deal?" And finally, so I was like, ah, "All right, I'm culturally connected now." There you go. And the stapler, the company, the the red stapler, the company didn't even make red staplers, so they actually had to paint that stapler red. And people kept calling in. Do you have the red? Like, so much so that the co- that company actually started creating red staplers, and it's like one of their best sellers. Wow! Hope, hope you're getting some royalties there. Booyah. Mike. Mike has got money. They say even in the com- even in the um, the actors talking about Mike Jones, he's got fu money. Where he's like, this is how we're gonna do it, man. Yeah, because I'm sure because <laughs> when Moon Beavis and Butthead was at its height, it was everything, everywhere. And I mean, you know, freaking spun off of a movie. Yeah, and I was so. But it do America. I was so ingrained with that film. Like I would record it on my recorder when the when the TV was on. I would record it just to hear it back again because oh, back wow. then, you know, you weren't recording stuff. It was just mm-hmm. you just catch it when it comes on. You know, catch yeah. it and that's it. So I recorded just to play. I was like, dang, I was dialed in. Well, even just watching the show, you know, the fact that you mm-hmm. got these two animated characters watching music videos. I thought I, I remember. I thought I thought it was the coolest thing. Just hearing them, like honestly, giving commentary. Yep. 
on music videos <laughs> and yet never knowing what they would say, how they would react to certain things. You know, of course it was like Guar, they, they, you know, or Metallica, they're going to mm-hmm. go, yes, this rocks. <laughs> or they, or seeing something else and saying, uh, this sucks. Uh, that was like just, my favorite. <laughs> that, that line had me dying when they were on, uh, the, uh, what's the Stewart? So Stewart would come. He had the wing winger winger. I forgot the name of the band of the shirt that he had on. But it, um, he would come to talk to <laughs> Beavis and Butthead, and they were sitting down on the curb. He's like, "Hey guys!" And Butthead's like, "Tell you something, Stewart." And Stewart, really, you want me to talk? Well, hey, let's go to the mall. And then Butthead's like, "That sucks." <laughs> it was just like their comedic timing was just perfect. It was mm. hilarious. Oh, and, yeah. and it just reminded me of like how brilliant that show was. Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead. But Mike Judd, they would play these music videos like back to back and he'll have to record the voices like at yeah. the same time while it's going on. And he said he got on a point where he was just like tired and like upset. Like well, all this stuff is all the same, you know, and he's kind of explaining. You can hear how he really feels coming through the voice of, mm. <laughs> of butthead and stuff. That's uh, that's good. Though. That's powerful. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. So that was that one was a good watch. That was just one that just popped up on YouTube. But I was like, huh, that was was pretty decent so i don't know where it came from and uh apparently um because and butthead do american was uh was a hit it was a hit right before it was like leading like first week gross all that stuff right before titanic so titanic i think came right after that but um mm. so when it dropped it, it but also it's two totally different when you talk about you know um counter programming true, true it can't true. get more different yeah. than titanic yeah Versus Beavis and Butthead do America. But, like, like, it was setting all these records that first year, and then, you know, Titanic comes. Hey, nothing you can do about that. Oh, no. <laughs> get, get out the way. Get out the and way. And I think that uh, Beavis and Butthead was off the air for a little while, so people were actually anticipating the movie. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. And, the, and they, I mean, they've tried to bring them back a couple of times. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know they would. No, I don't think they would work now. I think they are. Yeah. That's of of their the times, yeah. yeah. I think I think you I think you could do some a show similar where you have some characters commenting on you know YouTube content. Mm-hmm. I think you could do something like that. Definitely, honestly, you know what? You they, they would be characters streaming. They'd have a show. They would, they would be streaming a Twitch kind of thing, mm-hmm. and just their antics and you know with today's culture and society and, and youthful influence. True. True. So, yeah, so that's what I watched this past week. Now, let's dive back into the show. Out of the whole movie, my favorite sequence is the kidnapping scene. Like, like it's like a movie. It feels like it's a movie within itself. and It's just like stuck in <laughs> to this film. Um, well done. Like, I even thought to myself, like, man, who signs up to be like the actors and actors to do this? I'm like. They must have had a hard time finding these people because, man, now that I'm like a, a parent, like, I, you know, <laughs> I was like, man, I couldn't. If that was my even if that. Yeah. If that was my job, that'd be hard to sign up for. Yeah. Because you think just long term when people see something, especially if, if, if it is a hit and it blows up man. and, you know, you don't want to get tight. You definitely want to be typecast man. as that. Um, but just, you know, even people looking at you differently as far as, OK, could we have you in another role later on or mm-hmm. That's it's a that's a it's a risk, but Big risk. you know. But if you're a true actor, then yeah, you com- you commit and you <laughs> and you go for it. And kudos to these two actors they they pulled it off. Well done. They did. Um, and then like the boys' behavior, like like you look at a kid like Oleg or um, Joey, the other, the other boy, his friend. 
how like they're like bad in a way, you know, they're like bad kids, but they're being bad actually helps them. They're like more survival skills. So them being curious or like trying to find a way out or trying to do things like things that they would normally be kind of punished for actually helps them. They're street smart. Survive. Yeah. Yeah. For they're, sure. They're street smart and kind of rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. You're right. Cause and, and, and it's even mentioned that whereas other kids would have just simply submitted mm-hmm. and been, and been docile because these are, adults or whatever the case may be he's like oh heck no you know <laughs> yeah okay I, I'm, I'm going to use my skill i'm going to lie and i'm going to steal and i'm going to get the heck out of here yeah so like just the whole performance the reason I like is like every all the actors are just dialed in you know the kid all the kid that's playing Oleg. you know he walks in it's like a steady shot you show the the camera you see like it's creepy these two kids are touching each other pulls out to the other camera you pull the Oleg, he does a shot with the asthma, and then you pull up over him in one shot, and you discover that there's plastic on it. So he's like, in his head, you can see him like putting everything together. Yeah. Uh, I got to use restroom, <laughs> you know, just like trying to figure out, figure a way out. And then um, seeing what's uh, what's the actress that plays Paul Walker's wife? Via Figara. Via. Oh, Vera, Vera, Vera Figara. So just when she comes in. Vera Farmiga, excuse uh, me. Sorry. Vera Farmiga? Vera Farmiga. So just the way she plays her mom is just like reminded me of my mom. Like, you know mm. what I mean? Just the way it's like, no, <laughs> I need answers right now. She played that. She was dialed in. I don't know if she had a family at the time or if she does, but she was able to really dial in. Turns out that that's the reason why she wanted to play these roles because of that actual sequence. Right. Which is amazing. Again, I, I'm in total agreement. It is my my favorite scene of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And in particular, because when you deal with such a, 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 a not only sensitive, but disturbing topic matter right. like pedophilia and the way that it's shot in such a way where they, where, you know, they don't show anything gratuitous or grotesque or, or overtly sexual in nature. It's all, it's almost Hitchcockian in terms of you let the mind go. Mm-hmm. You just, you show enough of the elements and let people just piece it together, and that can be creepier and more terrifying. And then you, you have these two actors who are just being as nice and as friendly as possible. Yeah. Oh, that's your that's your sister, right? You love her. Oh, you can give her a hug. And, and they're, they're doing just enough of the innocent stuff, just mm-hmm. enough of the setup. And then, like you said, when Oleg is looking around the room, you see the elements. And even once, once Vera gets in there... When it, you just think that she's about to leave and, and give uh, give up, and she's heading out the door, and she stops, and that mom <laughs> instinct kicks, and she's like, "No, nah, no nah. pictures. Where, yeah. where are the? There are no Real pictures talk. of these kids." I'm like, "Oh, that! <laughs> it's a well written scene, and and even just the set design, yeah, making a, a set that has really like no no hard corners mm-hmm. and is is maze like in nature." And like it's like no, there's no place to hide, yeah. you know, no place to hide, no no place to escape, and again the Hansel and Gretel feel of it, mm-hmm. um, and then once once she finds him, I thought I thought he was dead. I was like, oh, yeah, this he kid just dead. fell out like that, like yeah. Oh. I'm like, no, I didn't really like Oleg at the time, but I was like, I don't want you to, I don't want you to be dead, kid, you know. <laughs> Yeah, He's an abused dead. child. I, I mean, how do you expect the abused child to act? No, I, 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 I was like, I don't want you to be dead. 
<laughs> and you know her trying to do one-handed CPR and compressions, and, and, and them trying to slow, looking at the gun and slowly trying to move forward. The tension in yeah. the scene is is great, and then her just at the end, just you know making the call yeah. and saying shots have been fired, and you already know. I'm like, oh, she's taking wow, wow. she's taking these dudes out. Body shots. So, uh, but seeing her like almost lose it while she's got the gun, her face, and then the other lady kind of holding it together like she's the aggressor and then seeing her husband like loot like crying like he can kind of just see his like everything that he worked for just going away well, he, he, he knew he knew that if he went to prison so, what they what they do <laughs> yeah the people who have done what they're doing yeah it's over for him yeah he almost to be relieved to 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 to, to die yeah so I, everybody has a breaking point and it was cool to see uh Vera there seeing her breaking point um her character's uh breaking point you know starting to see like the videos and like you're discovering things with her you know you see the body bag in there then you see that there's actually videos like well these people gotta die you know it's like yeah man like that's enough that's just i mean that's just that's just it's a brilliant reveal Mm -hmm. because you know from the jump when when oleg goes into the van and as they open the door to the van, and then you slowly see the kids in the background, they don't say a word. Yeah, which is creepy. You're like, oh, this is Jack. And then classic strangers with some ice cream. I think we need some more ice cream. You're like, oh, these people ain't right. You know, people ain't right. Yeah, out of oh, everything. Man. So, yeah, so that was one of my favorite scenes. And then, like, the recall scenes, whenever somebody tries to remember something and it's like a flashback and, like, and it runs back to let you know as an audience, like, hey, this is what really happened. Um, I like the Mac Daddy Pimp. That, that's, I don't know why. It's hilarious seeing that. And then, like, any scene kind of with the blood, it was, like, uh, it was slightly over the top, um, but it was still, like, brutally believable. And, again, using digital effects for that. Mm-hmm. Again, watching this film makes me think about The Raid quite quite mm-hmm. a bit. And I'd be surprised if the director of The Raid hadn't, hadn't seen this film. Oh, because yeah. he talks so in the way they use a lot of digital digital mm-hmm. blood digital effects very effectively and I think this film does as well and yeah. I think it holds up um, I, w- I wouldn't if he hadn't told me that was digital I, I wouldn't have known yeah. um, and especially the scene towards the end with the on, the on the ice with the hockey pucks like that being digital I was like oh wow so it was like a mix oh the hockey pucks were digital but the blood was like flu actual liquid. that was digital too it was a mixture, so you had a um, some kind of pump. What do you say? Like kind of oozing. Mm. <laughs> he had some kind of I forgot what kind of pipe that was. That was like kind of oozing that. But then the pucks are digital. Bam, hitting Better them in the face. Them. And then some of the marks are digital. Yeah, man. Uh, any other favorite scenes? That's it. That's all I got. What about yourself? Again, that 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 center scene again is is a favorite. Yeah. Um, I think oh, I call it a favorite scene, but I was very relieved at the end that they didn't kill him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have been, I, I been pissed. We're American. I would have been pissed. I, I would have felt like this was a waste. If, if he had, we got two if he had endings. Died. You get the cry and then be happy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I would I would have been like, oh man, come on, come on. <laughs> but I'll be honest, him. I did have a problem with him killing the mob boss at the end. I know they, they he was mic'd long enough to tie him in. I'm like, well, wouldn't you want him to sing on some other people? You've been all this time building this up, and you kill you kill the guy. Like you had him, you all you had to do was keep the gun on him. He wasn't going to go anywhere, but you killed him. Like I don't know, wouldn't the FBI need more information from the guy? He's isn't he the star witness? And you just, you just killed him. That that that's the only part where I'm like, 
wasn't cop like. Yeah, I'm like I, I I don't I don't get that. Like all this work, you know, man, I don't know. That was weird. He had the mic. I guess they had enough. I, I don't know. <laughs> Executive decision. <laughs> yeah. Dude's been through a lot. Dude's been through a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. I I did I did like seeing in the small little cameo um Dallas who should be on speaking of MTV mm-hmm. uh she was the she was oh, the yeah. prostitute that had kind That's of right. rescued Oleg. I was mm-hmm. like Hey, she used to be on MTV back in the day. She was one of the DJs back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little throwback. The overall commentary, I think it was a good commentary. Good, you know, he had excitement. He came in just like ready to rock and roll, technical points, had the background. Um, I enjoyed his energy. And then, you know, being a writer director, you know, you're just dialed in. This is, this is a, this is a great commentary. Mm-hmm. He is giving technical info, data, and insight said with enthusiasm he's very he's very he comes across as as he's very focused same time he's he's humble he's appreciative he's he's giving out kudos left and right complimentary Mm -hmm. to to his dp to his set designer to his actors he really i I really enjoyed the things he had to say about paul walker as as a performer and again again his commentary made me appreciate the film more yeah um again initially seeing paul's performance i'm like man this guy's just so over the top this whole time but i'm like okay it helped me understand why and and again Mm -hmm. just appreciate the energy it would take to do that to be that intense yeah seven takes in a row and still hold that, still have that edge. Yeah. Um, and then him even talking about Vera uh, Farmiga uh, as, as an actress. And I'm, I'm looking at, at IMDb Pro right now and, and realizing that, you know, she was also in The Departed, which also mm-hmm. came out in 06. I'm like. And actually did well. Oh, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of dealing with some of the same elements, but. Uh, hey, but I, that's kind of pretty typical. I mean, pretty standard to have two films mm-hmm. per actor, you know, come out. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad that that. Yeah, but I'm just like from a genre standpoint, though. You know, like mm. we say, were well, people ready for it? it was like, Departed was just as brutal, um, but it felt it was more probably grounded in in reality, quote unquote reality. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, overall great job, Paul Walker's performance. It, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, you're playing, you know, undercover. We don't find out he's undercover until later, so maybe he has to overplay it to kind of compensate when he's around these real mobsters Mm. Um, that on top of you might die tomorrow. Your family might die. That's true. You know, and then your kid is hard headed. So you got to like turn it up to get him to get information out of him without actually beating him up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think I was slightly disappointed by the reveal that he was FBI Mm -hmm. to me. Number one, made me think, Oh, this again, yeah. You know, just thinking about the Fast and Furious films, I'm like, oh. Yeah, you do got a point. I'm yeah, like, I totally forgot about that. Really? Yeah, like, like right. I'm, I'm trying to see you as, as, again, breaking out, not being typecast and being this, this legit thug. Mm-hmm. So at least I appreciate that. But then when, he, when, he, when I saw that wire, I'm like, okay, maybe I missed something. You know, I was like, maybe I missed something uh, uh, where he decided to do something with the FBI. But then when like he said he was an actual, I mean, working for them undercover, I was like, oh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think I really like that that reveal mm-hmm. at the at the end. It also I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't think I really like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no Oscars here. Uh, uh, so like just some bullet points and some tips for us, uh, for your filmmakers out there. Um, I like in this one uh, him kind of like re- you know. T- Telling us what companies and what they played a role in. So he like talked about Media Eight, and mm-hmm. that is the company that financed the film. Sometimes you don't get 
you see these produced by or in association with the beginning, but a lot of people don't really talk about like the business side of it. So him saying that this company financed the film um, allowed like a lot of creative uh, freedom. Um, I like that he kind of gave us a little insight on the business side of things. You don't really see that too much unless it's an independent filmmaker that's financed the film. And that's kind of why I listen to like first time filmmakers and some of their commentaries because they give insight on the business side of things. You know, like the Kevin Smiths and Eli Roths, things like that. I think it's also important, you know, when we one of the reasons why we mention box office and, mm-hmm. and, and budget because at the end of the day, this is a, this is a business. Yes, and it's a product. It, it, it definitely is a product. So, I'd, I'd be curious, you know, while the the film did, you know, it took a bath, it did not make money in the theaters. You know, I'm curious if you know if, if it made up any any kind of ground, you know, with home release or oh, yeah, anything sure. along along those. That's where lines. you got my money at. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I wonder even you know after Paul Walker's passing, if if that you know potentially True. moves some some more units mm-hmm. uh, as well. So I think I think it could be looked looked back. I think especially if you saw it earlier. I think if I had seen this movie earlier, I might feel differently about it. Maybe a little more affinity. But I think if you you know had seen it earlier when it was still kind of fresh, then there could be a fondness in looking back on it. And um, we we mentioned that, and I thought it was good that he mentioned the company that unfortunately also lost. You know, yeah. Let's on that one. Uh, he mentions a, there's a titling company. I'm a fan of you know title sequences. I like to use those in my films. Uh, the name of the film, the film was called Partners in Crime. And they created the opening titles. Um, also, he, he talked about bookends. This is my first time somebody mentioned a bookend in the commentary. I guess the bookend is basically you see the end of the film at mm-hmm. the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. But he set it up in the way so that you... You know that this kid's going to be shot at some point in the movie. Throughout the movie, he's like, okay, when is this going to happen? And uh, it's a good way to kind of trick people. Mm-hmm. You, you keep you keep them engaged because there was a scene that happens earlier on where the two of them are in the vehicle and the kid is trying to get the gun out of Paul's hand. And they specifically shoot it in such a way where at times the gun is almost in the kid's stomach, the barrel right. of it. And you're like, oh, is this, is this the scene? But no. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not now, not ever. <laughs> and there, uh, there's another company called Algamated Pixels who did the visual effects, and the visual effects were done well in this film. Ninety-five um, percent of the film was shot in Prague. Um, I noticed that was like for financial reasons. And this is around what 2000. I don't know when this commentary is done. I'm assuming a year or so after the fact. But for financial reasons, you had a lot of people shooting in Prague. And I think in the movie, in the second Hostel, that one was shot in Prague. Um, for financial reasons and like five percent was shot in jersey mm-hmm. and um and i don't know if if that's still a thing if people are still going to prague but i know he mentioned that you know american actors going to prague so they can kind of be filling that so they can just find work all the time you know yeah when they're doing these i don't know if, i don't know if a prague is still a thing so before y'all run to go to prague your actor friends check that out to see if that's still a thing uh, one thing I noticed about this director, he likes to storyboard. You know, we've, you know, listened to uh, Ridley, Ridley Scott and David Fincher with his computer generated storyboards. And he likes to really flesh out his ideas and have a vision uh, with the storyboards here. He's very big on that. Just being very, being very clear about what you want to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and his storyboards definitely help him do exactly that. So when he shows up on set. Mm. He's been in communication with his DP. They know what he's looking for, and he's not 
seemingly not looking at using multiple cameras to to pull that off. Mm-hmm. He's got. He's like, nope. This is this is what I want, and this is what we're going for. Yeah, and it feels well thought out. Um, these scenes and how he transitions. Uh, he mentioned a process called cross process, which um, I th- this um, they shot it on film. So when you do cross process, I think you take out of the normal process of developing a film, you take the middle part of the process and dip it in a different kind of liquid. And it gives you this like almost oversaturated burnt orange effect. Oh. And I think the movie Traffic and Three Kings kind of use it was like a popular thing at one point in time doing that but man if you mess up <laughs> like you can sometimes there was another process where you kind of expose the, your film to light for a few seconds to give it a certain look and dude you're talking about you possibly losing days and days of footage, footage. dude like there's uh, some of these processes i'm glad like we've you can do it now digital because <laughs> i i would i'll cry if I would, <laughs> I would cry. My foot is gone. I, I think again, it's where you have people you can you, that you can trust who have who have worked and and, and done those techniques before. It's not somebody. Some people have lost it. some. Don't uh, hey, it, uh, like those films. Like some people lost some footage. <laughs> but you know that going in process. You know it going in though. This is the risk. You know sometimes it don't come out right. Mm. Uh, I also like the hand crank, crank camera. That he, that he talks about when sure, multiple the, times the film is jumping that. around and it's like spotting white and it looks looks awkward. It looks cool. I think it would be a good, uh, that hand crank camera. I think Coppola, Fort Coppola used that. Coppola. Coppola. Ah, there we go again. <laughs> <laughs> he used it in the sequence in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right, when he's walking the streets. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is a podcast. As you can see, <laughs> Reginald doing his... Uh, <laughs> his his, his um, Vlad, his yeah, Vlad walk, Vlad. <laughs> Vlad on the streets, yeah. Hello, ladies. Vlad on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> he mentions like or he referenced Tony Scott on Man on Fire. He kind of using that hand crank camera. So it's, it's it's cool to see other directors give other directors credit for you know, hey, you've inspired me, influenced me, and I'm gonna use it in mine. Uh, I think yeah. So yeah, the hand crank, I like that, especially for some. Uh, some Halloween-ish scary film. Um, also, he talks like a philosophy of violence. So his philosophy mm-hmm. of violence is this: show it as ugly and as real as it is. Right. He believes that it, that violence should be shocking. Now, when you see it, it should be shocking. He said, shown as is, uh, and this film is meant to 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 be a throwback to to older films and how they portrayed violence. Then he's not a fan of a lot of the PG thirteen things that having now that. You know, our rating has its has its purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. back a lot of the most of the action movies from the eighties are rated R, yeah. and they're going in. You know, <laughs> and that's just you know Schwarzenegger made you know, his place off of rated Dude. R action. And movies. his movies were brutal, like some Total Recall, this Predator, like, man. Oh yeah, um, and Terminator. I mean, again, you, Conan. Yeah. Yeah, it just didn't didn't hold back, and, and it's all good. It's fantasy. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it is it's fantasy. It's make believe. So, in a previous episode, in the Lost Boys episode, I accidentally say MacGuffin instead of McGlovin. Um, when I was talking about the kid and Fright Night, um, McLovin, da 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 da. And I accidentally said MacGuffin. This director mentions MacGuffin. Um, 
And so here is a definition of what MacGuffin is. So uh, MacGuffin in fiction, sometimes MacGuffin or MacGuffin is a plot device in the form of some goal, desired object or another motivator that the protagonist pursues, often with little or no narrative explanation. MacGuffin. Yes. So, yeah. So the director, when the gun is the MacGuffin of this film. Absolutely. This film looks good. And he mentions like ambers and cyans and glowing highlights. So pay attention to your lighting setup and kind of come in with a palette of how you want your film to look. I think also it's important finding a, a DP that shares some of your interests in, in terms of things that you value and like to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, with the DP on this particular project, uh, the cinematographer Jim Whitaker, or Jim or James Whitaker is how he's credited in the film, mm-hmm. you know, Kramer continue talks about how how they just vibe and they like a lot of the same things and certain kinds of shots and certain kinds of colors. So having that partnership makes makes it even uh, easier. When you're using Steadicam, make sure that you have strong uh, focus pullers that are keeping your stuff in focus. Uh, nothing's more noticeable than an out of focus shot. Sometimes directors keep it in because they just have to. Um, but these days you're dealing with digital and you don't want to have to, you know, when you capture a scene and you have it, if it's out of the focus, you, you really can't use it. Um, so having strong focus pullers is important with the steady cam. Um, I like how in here he was able to use uh, real life experiences. So when he talked about uh, uh, what was the name of the character that I like John Wayne and all that. Uh, that would be uh, that is Oleg's stepfather yeah i've got his name it's it's uh enzo enzo you know he's really liking these john wayne films he talks about how when he was in russia you know the film didn't the john wayne film didn't end with john wayne dying he was just always a hero or whatever um because of these truncated eight millimeter films mm-hmm. and the director experienced that so from he, him being from south africa he would have these films that he's watching and he only knows one version of the film and then when he comes to america you see the rest like what the heck is this ah man i can only imagine <laughs> that'd be a shock yeah man so i like how also i like how he used the john wayne as like kind of like a metaphor uh in this film and it kind of shatters the illusion of america yes and even in being able to use John Wayne's names, just from a legal standpoint, you know, there were different legal considerations that had to be considered throughout the making of this film. Uh, getting permission from John Wayne's uh, either son or, 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 or grandson. Yeah, it was his son. Ethan. Ethan Wayne. To, to, to get approval. And it, fortunately, Ethan was pretty cool about things. Like, he didn't necessarily agree with, with, with the film per se, but he didn't want to get in the way of mm-hmm. uh, Kramer's vision for the film and even being able to you know have the kid deliver a line where he calls john wayne the f word f word if i got so for some people that would be like sacrilegious like yeah. they would just go nuts so and that's trash about john wayne when you say john wayne is a faggot it's uh like disparaging that's a disparaging comment you know mm-hmm. from a legal standpoint but with uh the director what he did is he did he shot it different ways <laughs> and then just to kind of cover herself mm-hmm. um, and then showed Ethan Wayne the full film with that in it you know had you know Ethan seen just a script or something like that man take that out that's my dad or whatever right. but him seeing the whole film was like you know what I don't want to mess with your vision and he was like okay 
you know, seeing everything in context helps out a whole lot. Um, but there was a part in when he uh, when the director had to talk to the legal department over the state for John Wayne. He's like, what do I have to do to get this get this footage into the film? Well, you got to take out this. You got to take out that. You know, there was some kind of other abuse going on that he had to take those scenes out. Right. And so he did that and then cut to another sequence. And when he was cut to a sequence and came back to the house, technically it's another scene. Yep, exactly. So he was able to find that that workaround to appease um, the regulations he was under, but um, you know, also to, to get into things that he wanted as well. Um, Paul Walker's brother looked similar to him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Way man. similar. So there was a trick where uh, Paul Walker's brother is in the shot, pulls back to reveal you know, Paul Walker reacting to a bullet that goes from one house to another. And he was able to pull that off by having, you know, his brother play him in the background. Um, a lot of people assume that's a digital effect. Yeah. But I know I did. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> we just yeah. assume that these days. You're just like, oh, yeah, for sure. I, I found it very odd that um, that his brother would, you know, play as him. And then, you know, years later, after Paul Walker passed, uh, in, in, in one of the Fast and Furious films afterwards, his brother actually is, you know, in some of the uh, some of Paul Walker's scenes. Yeah, and, and playing him yet, it's crazy. Potentially yet again. Hey, that's a cool way to keep your brothers around and have people you like working with. True. Um, some acting tricks. Paul and Vera shouted at young Alex to get them all riled up. <laughs> <laughs> but they said it kind of lost his effect after a while. But at the beginning, it kind of got him riled up at them yelling at each other, yelling at Alex actually. Mm. There's also like an image perception thing. Uh, maybe, you know, if you're making your film, this might be a thing or maybe not. Sometimes when an actor's too good looking or too pretty, sometimes their um, their talent gets overlooked. I noticed that that happened to like Brad Pitt. Uh, sometimes you don't get your credit. And I know I wasn't given early on. I wasn't giving Brad Pitt his credit. But when I seen him in the same year, you know, do Fight Club and then switch and do Meet Joe Black. I was like, all right, you win. Mm. <laughs> you win. I think you bring up a good point. And again, Kramer, he, he brought this up in the, in the commentary that, mm-hmm. yeah, you could have these actors who, especially, you know, not just especially, but uh, including guys where because they have a certain look, they might be seen as just a just a pretty boy, just another pretty face. Yep. When actually they have quite a bit of depth and detail and uh, and, and should, be, should be flushed out. Yep. You know, because we've seen it at times where, People are being cast just because they're pretty women, men, whatever, and there's nothing there. And so, you know, you run across that, too. So, you know, make sure you cast well. I know how he talked about, like, old school filmmakers designing specific shots. Uh, he was talking about how these days, you know, camera, you know, they use four to six cameras and just pick the best shot. Uh, but train yourself. You know, I encourage you to train yourself to stick to one shot and see, if you know, how you can build around that I know Tarantino, like his thing is, this is the camera, this is the shot. There's no other shot. <laughs> and he likes to be right then, right there, kind of just letting them play in front of him with the one camera. Hmm. I also like how uh, they use real graffiti artists. So, you know, to dirty up a scene, use some real graffiti artists to get those graffiti looking places into your scenes to make it look dirty and gritty. Dirty, dirty. This is also another thing, you know, reuse your sets, you know, to become to be more economical 
and uh, find ways to save money, basically. Um, there's another scene where there's a, a stunt man that's on, set on fire. <laughs> Paul Walker, like, he's set on fire. Oh, yeah. And that was an actual stunt man, but hey, why not have your stunt man just be an actor in the scene and so you can get shots of how he's really reacting? Usually, the stunt man, the face is covered up and all that stuff in these scenes, but why not just cast a stunt man and have him uh, do that whole thing? That's a good point. Cool. When Paul Walker leaves the apartment and goes outside and he just yells to the sky, did you think his uh, car was stolen? I didn't know what was going on. I was like, this guy is yelling again? That's that's kind of how I felt about it. I'm like, this guy just yells so much in this movie. So I was like, man. I, I thought he was yelling because, <laughs> because the guy, I thought he was yelling because whoever had the gun had already left. Yeah. And that he was just so frustrated by it. So, no, I didn't, I didn't think he had lost his car. Originally, I thought he, the car was stolen <laughs> just because um, cause they set it up. Like, get away from my car. And then he come, he's already mm. angry. He's mad. He didn't broke this guy's finger. They hide. They laughing. And so he runs downstairs. So, like, the way the, he's so frantic running downstairs. Right. And then for him just to yell and the car is gone, that would actually be perfect if the car was missing. Oh, uh, man. And so it's so... A lot of people had that issue, so it's a crane shot. Paul Walker's looking up at the sky, yelling, mm-hmm. and but the car isn't in the shot. And since it's in the shot, people thought it was the car was stolen, and so they had to put the car back in. They had to CGI the car in just oh, to wow. let you know that it's not stolen. Because what I initially thought, it's like, oh man, they took his car too. Got him for his ride. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just like, oh, more yelling. Yeah. That's <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> Not a fan of this movie, I see. Uh, no. I'm just kidding. It, it just, again, the, it's the yelling. There's so much yelling. It, it is a lot going on. Yeah. But I appreciate the intensity. I mean, it's, I, mean, I wonder how many times you had to do that, just that take alone. All right, let's come out and screw the top of your lungs. shape to do that, man. But man, Paul Walker, though, and, and I don't know if you saw any of the, uh, of the other special features, mm-hmm. but he, he, he loved it. He loved it. He doesn't like to to sit still, and he was more than happy to show up at five a.m. and to be intense to to knock people around to get knocked around. Yeah, he he really dug it. So while we're anticipating Oleg getting shot, this creates tension because of the back end that he used. So maybe you can use these little tricks to create that tension. It's like, okay, when's going to happen? When's going? So uh, he mentions how audience appreciate filmmakers when they're going the extra step to put like their vision on screen or to get that extra good shot and and he's referencing when Paul Walker comes out of the ice skating rink you know we don't see anything going on it's one steady crane shot they all get in the car it reverses around and reveals helicopters falling from the sky police cars coming in and we crane up and that fills in the frame so when you're working to get shots like that it's visually satisfying and the audience is really appreciated going that extra mile the extra step to uh make sure you get that that shot that you really want to get in there because you know you could have just did a wide shot and it'd been fine and been done with it yeah, hmm. yeah I, I agree um audiences even if you're casual you've been watching movies for probably quite some time and yeah, you you know when something extra has been done, a little something special. Mm-hmm. Concluding, you know, the movie, um, you know, going this whole way. I don't know if you've seen Carlito's way. This is maybe a spoiler, so if Uh-oh. you don't want to spoil it, just fast forward. I haven't seen Carlito's way. <laughs> just putting it out there. But no, go ahead. Um, I've had plenty of time. Yeah. It was like twenty. 
20 years old, so go ahead. So, when you have, like, the they're eating lunch, you know, they're eating breakfast or whatever, it's, you know, they're just enjoying time together. To have, like, your downfall be Pimp Daddy Mac, this white Pimp Daddy Mac. He said, well, are you a cartoon? I'm a Pimp Daddy Mac. You know that. Okay, so... This is one of those things at the end. The dialogue at the end, I hated. I hated that dialogue. They're back and forth. I'm like, this is this is bad. I, I'm I'm pretty lenient on dialogue, but I was like, this is downright terrible, terrible, terrible. I'm a pimp, daddy man. You know that. I was like, oh no, what is going on here? But it's funny. Uh, yeah. Mm. Oh mm. man. So it reminded me of Carlito's way, just like. Out of all the stuff you went through, this sucker's gonna take you out. Yeah, it's just oh, that would that would have been <laughs> rage worthy. What? <laughs> Flipping tables, man. I think again from just from a planning standpoint, just knowing how much the uh, oh how we researched you know for that that kind of one that that big final set piece with the the black blue light on the ice, it being it even being in a hockey arena and the kids loving hockey. Uh, him doing research and finding out that a lot of the Russian mob like have ties into hockey, like professional <laughs> hockey. I was like, hmm. oh, well. Um, but just doing that research to, to yeah. know, to kind of bring that, that, that level of, of authenticity. Research uh, people. Yes, yes. Uh, giving credit to his, again, he gives credit to so many of his crew members, but giving credit to his, his, his grips uh, for being able to pull off some of the amazing shots within the film. Yeah, and then I decided again just to, you know, fight for what you want. Fight uh, for it. When when it comes to that production, there are times where, uh, again, uh, especially dealing with the, with the, with the kind of the pedophile scene where there were you know, there were some who were very nervous about it, and there was a uh, either a producer or somebody like the day before they were going to shoot it, he was taking taking off like Xbox games that were on the on the shelves or whatever. <laughs> they were preparing to be sued. Yeah, right? hey guys, we got to be ready. We just got to be ready. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but uh, being able to, to to fight for what you want, regardless of you know, especially if you're, if you're a director, you might people will say this or say that or you know, but just being able to have kind of that, that thick skin and saying nope, yeah, man, a um, hundred thousand dollars to light the ice rink. Yeah, when I hear stuff like that, I'm just like called jet ice. When I hear stuff like that, I'm like it hurts my soul. Because mm. <laughs> I mean, this movie business experience, it's it's expensive. It's expensive. But then when you hear things like that, you're like, oh, you know. I mean, the this, scene this looks good, but I, I likewise, kind of like, I think it was his script supervisor had to leave because of the, this being in the, in, the, in the blue lights was kind of affecting her. Yeah. Um, yeah. After a while, I was ready for there to be regular light. <laughs> that's just me. Turn on the lights. Quit yelling, Paul Walker. There's a lot of changes we can make here, guys. <laughs> you. Less yelling. You. Give me some regular light in here. What's going on here? But no, the, the effect the effect was 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 cool for the time being. And again, from an emotional range, I mean, yeah, Walker he he went to some places mostly that you know we don't see him go from right. from playing a dad and having those tender moments to you know grief and fear. You know when they're looking at potentially you know killing the killing the kid, killing old Oleg. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, just. He does a wide range. And, and, and actually, for the actor Cameron Bright, who plays Oleg, mm-hmm. uh, he just has this, this stare, man. He's professional. That dude there. Yeah. He's kind of creepy looking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But that was on purpose, right? Those yeah. those eyes are meant to pierce. Yeah, yeah they're meant to pierce and they're meant eyes, to make man. you uncomfortable. Another one of my f- scenes I like in there is when the guy plays Tommy, and he's got the gun on Paul Walker, and he kind of explains like the setup and how he's about to kill this mob boss. <laughs> he starts talking about the value, you know, the price of this, the price of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the old Mastercard, dude. dude commercial motif. <laughs> A bomb in the bag of a mobster's in the bathroom. Effing priceless. And then it blows up. It's like, oh. So I remember that campaign. That, that was great. I don't know why. That, that made me laugh. But <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is old. Well, even how they transition when the, when the phone is exploding and how they use it to, to, to kind of transition back to, to his phone. Pretty cool effect. Effing priceless. <laughs> yeah, that guy was kind of corny. Thank y'all for tuning in. To this version of Filmmaker Commentary. Um, check us out. Facebook.com forward slash Filmmaker Commentary. Also, if you're on iTunes, leave us a comment. You know, say, hey, we like it. Um, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or however you listen to your podcast. You can reach out to us individually through. Uh, you can find Reginald on Twitter at Reggie Titus. That's R-E-G-G-I-E-T-I-T-U-S. You can also find him on Instagram at Reginald Titus Jr. Uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram simply at Casey G. Smith. That's C-A-S-E-Y-G-S-M-I-T-H-32. Booyah. So we thank y'all for tuning in. If you have any suggestions, hit us up on uh, Facebook. Leave say, hey, I want y'all to do a film over whatever. And we'll make sure we cover that. But just, just make sure that it has commentary. <laughs> Um, and for our October, hopefully we're not going to be too far behind because we have like two more shows in the queue. But by the time this reaches you, hopefully we're still in October and we're going to be going over next time reanimator and then the howling. Yeah. And then and then we are also going to look into Michael Carpenter's classic Halloween. So that's our Halloween special. Appreciate y'all tuning in. Peace out. Peace. Peace.